If you have your Bibles, turn with me please to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. You know, on the, the 12th of June 1979, which is almost 30 years to the day, um, history was made when a young man flew a pedal-powered plane across the English Channel. Now this is a plane that he put together and uh, he just pedaled frantically to get this thing airborne and on average it was just about five meters above the water for the whole journey and he pedaled for his life for three hours and made the 35 kilometer journey across the English Channel and reached the French coast, needless to say, in a state of exhaustion. All I can say is thank God for jet planes. Amen? <laughs> Which kind of leads on to our subject this morning. I want to talk about the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, as humorous as that true illustration might be, many Christians pedal frantically in their lives trying to do what God wants to do through them. Trying to do what only God can do through them. You know, I, I, I included an article about two or three weeks ago about two visitors that went to see the Niagara Falls. You remember reading that? And um, as they just looked at the spectacular falls, they saw the rapids pouring over the falls. And uh, then one of them turned to the other and he said, let's go down to the bottom. And they went down to the bottom and they saw the incredible power of that water just pouring over the falls there. And uh, this guy turned to his friend and said, you know, this is the greatest unused power in the world and his friend thought for a while and he said I disagree he said there's another greater unused power and that is the power of the Holy Spirit and somebody has said and you probably heard it said that if the Holy Spirit was taken out of the church much of the church would continue as normal in other words we have not learned to walk in the Spirit and to live by the Spirit and to serve by the Spirit and, and to, to engage the Holy Spirit in our Christian lives. And therefore, you know, we are really operating well below par. And so the secret of the Christian life is learning to access the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, on another subject, if I was to ask you which New Testament writer contributed most to the New Testament, probably like myself a while ago, you might say Paul, because he wrote 13 out of 21 of the epistles. Well, wrong. He did not actually write most of the New Testament material. So your second guess might be John, because John wrote the Gospel of John, he wrote three epistles and the book of Revelation, but wrong again. Actually, word for word, the person who wrote the most of the New Testament was Luke. And Luke wrote two books that went together, they fit together, they were deliberately put together. And if you want to put a title over them, it would be something like this. The birth and progress of the church of Jesus Christ. You know, the beginnings and the progress of the Church of Jesus Christ. It was a two-volume work that he contributed to the New Testament. In fact, the amazing thing is that if you look at Luke's Gospel, and it would fill a certain amount of papyrus when it was written, and Acts takes almost exactly the same amount of space. 
and they both cover the same amount of time, 33 years. The Gospel according to Luke covers the life of Jesus Christ from his birth to his death, resurrection and ascension. And the Acts of the Apostles covers 33 years from the beginning of the church until its incredible rise. From, in other words, the, the beginnings of the church in the um, capital of the religious world, Jerusalem, to its spread to the capital of the political world, Rome. And, and it, it describes how the church turned the world upside down. How did they do it? Answer, through the Holy Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit could account for the incredible growth and increase of the church. And if you look with me at um, Acts chapter 1 and verse 1, Paul says, uh, sorry, Luke says this, the former account, speaking about Luke's gospel, the former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. See, Luke is about what Jesus began to do in his ministry. But after his death, he poured out his spirit upon the church. So Acts is all about his con what he is continuing to do through the Holy Spirit, what Jesus is continuing to do through the body by the power of the Holy Spirit. And uh, it's in this chapter that the scene is set and the tone is set because Jesus says to the disciples, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now, let's just miss out a few verses here which we're going to come back to because they're the key verses in this message. But let's go to verse 9. Okay, Jesus now is being taken up into heaven. Right? And it says, Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven... As he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Okay, so basically the angel said to the disciples who were looking up, watching Jesus disappear, You've seen him go, you'll see him come. That's what we call the second coming. Amen? He's coming the same way that he went. It's not by a spiritual presence that some teach that he's coming. He's coming in a literal return, physical return to the earth. So between his going and his coming, there is this incredible space called the church age. And God has made his intention very clear about what is to happen in this space in the verse before. We call it the Great Commission. And the only way the Great Commission can be fulfilled is through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Now you think about that for a moment. You think about that. There were about, we're told in verse 15, there were about 120 disciples in that upper room. At that time, there were 4 million people, as reckoned, living in Israel. Now on a ratio, 
that would be one disciple to 30,000 people. Impossible. But actually Jesus didn't say go into Israel and preach the gospel. He said go into all the world and preach the gospel. Now Jesus always does that to us in order to prepare us for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He shows us how we can't do it in our own ability. Do the figures. Do the maths. You can't do it, what God wants you to do, in your own strength and by your own ability. If you've got a vision for your life and you can do it, it's not God's vision. The vision that God has for you and I and this church is far greater than anything we could possibly accomplish in our own strength, in our own merits. And that's what Luke is trying to convey in the first half of this chapter. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what he shared in his gospel, in his first book. You read that Jesus grew, in, grew up in obscurity, did nothing for 30 years. And then when he began his ministry, he was led out to the wilderness, you know the story, tempted, and as he came back, the Bible says he returned in the power of the Holy Spirit. He went to the synagogue, he opened the book, and he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The first words he, he spoke. Everything I do now is because the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he has anointed me to preach good tidings to the, to the needy. Isn't that fantastic? And, and that's what Luke is wanting to make clear in Acts. In fact, amazingly, in the first 13 chapters of the Acts of the Apostles, the Holy Spirit is mentioned 40 times. Think, think he's trying to tell us something? We need the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, what is this that Jesus was talking about when he says you'll receive power? In fact, if you go back to verse 4 and 5, he said something like this, John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. We call that the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Um, actually, Jesus said this, don't do anything until he comes. Just don't do a thing until he comes. That's how important the Holy Spirit is. Don't even think about it until he comes. Now, what is this thing called the baptism in the Holy Spirit? You know, if, if this is so important and it is going to be so revolutionary, if it's going to turn the world upside down, if it's going to reach the world, what do you think Satan would want to do regarding the baptism in the Holy Spirit? Well, he'd want to confuse us. He'd want to divide us over this doctrine. He'd want to split the church. He'd want to set Christian against Christian, arguing about what the baptism in the Holy Spirit means. Yes? And that's what he's done. That's exactly what he's done. Now I want to share some things with you and I want you to kind of just put aside for a moment any preconceived ideas that you might have because I, I'm aware of the fact that we, we have folk here from different denominational backgrounds and to some extent we've all been shaped, every one of us without exception, by our denominational upbringing and, and thinking. But I want you to put that aside and see as paramount whatever the doctrine is, we need the power of the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. Amen. Now, just come back a page or two with me to John's Gospel, chapter 20, because Jesus said this before he went. He said, you will receive 
the power of the Holy Spirit. You will receive that. Wait until it, wait until it comes and you will be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Does that mean that they did not have the Holy Spirit at that time? I don't think so. I don't think so. If you go back to chapter 20 and verse 20, he said, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Okay, do you get the picture there? Jesus has gathered his disciples together. He breathes upon them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. And I believe they did. I don't think he was play acting. I don't think this was a dress rehearsal for the day of Pentecost. I think that what he was asking them to do, they did. They received the Holy Spirit. Now let me just share something here. The word for breathed, the Greek word is the word emphuseo. And it's the only time that this word is used in the whole of the New Testament. But in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it's used for the first time in Genesis 2-7 when we read these words. When we read that the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. Now, just we know that what that was. That was the creation of man. Okay, so if that was the creation of man in Genesis, what Jesus did was the recreation of man. If that was the generation of man, this was the regeneration of man. If that was God giving life to Adam, this is Jesus giving new life to the new creation. Amen. So he was giving his life. They were born again. They were born of the Spirit. They didn't have him alongside them any longer. They had him living within them by the power of the Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. And they received the Holy Spirit. Now, having said that, he says to the same people in Acts chapter 1, wait until you receive power from on high. So it's clear and it's obvious that there is a second experience called the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Now, where this goes wrong is we try to fit our doctrines into that. And so Pentecostals say things that are totally unbiblical like this. Um, that if you haven't spoken in tongues, you don't have the Holy Spirit. Now there's nothing in the scripture to support that. Okay. Um, some go as far as to say that if you don't speak in tongues, you're not even saved. <laughs> you know, this is how ridiculous it gets when you try to fit um, the scriptures into your doctrine, you know? And, and, and uh, so we, we, you know, we come up with ridiculous arguments like that. Now, friends, just listen to me for a moment. When we become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside us. If any man has not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his, Paul says then he's not even a Christian. So every believer is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit comes into our spirit, right? To bring the life of Jesus. But you know what? He wants to go from there to invade every part of us, to flow into every part of us. And that is called the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Listen to what Jesus said 
in John 7. He said, if anyone thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. He who believes in me, we're talking about believers, he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So Jesus is saying, okay, the Holy Spirit is going to come, and as a believer, those that believe, out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And we call this the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Now, just turn with me, please, to Acts chapter 2. When I started this series on uh, your help of the Holy Spirit, I mentioned that it's very clear from the Scriptures that we, um, we find in the Scriptures that God asks for a response to every member of the Trinity in the Gospel. Okay, God looks for a response to every member of the, of the Trinity. And this is the response. Repentance towards God. Right? That's the first beginning. Because repentance just simply means to change your mind. So repentance means that you stop going your way and you turn to God. That's what repentance is. It's a turning back to God. The second step is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe that he died in your place. Put your trust in him and you will be forgiven your sin. You will receive salvation, we call it. You'll receive eternal life. You'll be made righteous in the sight of God. Okay? And then the third step is receive the Holy Spirit. Okay? Now, we find that all three together actually in this passage verse chapter 2 verse 37 when they had heard this they were cut to the heart Peter preached his first sermon on the day of Pentecost and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles men and brethren what shall we do okay then Peter said to them repent in other words you've had a mindset that is not towards God you've had you've done your own thing you've been wrong you've been misled you've been um, confused now repent, turn to God, and let every one of you be baptized in the name, uh, sorry, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Now baptism, as you know, is an outward expression of an inward faith. It's a public testimony of our faith. In fact, in the Bible days, usually they got saved and baptized the same day. That seems to be the norm in the New Testament. Okay, we, we wait months and months and have classes and make sure everybody's an expert on the term baptism and all the implications and our particular denominational stance on this before we baptise them. But in those days they didn't. It was an outward expression, public testimony of an inward faith. Okay? And it goes on to say, and you shall receive the gift of the Spirit. So it's repentance towards God, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and receive the Holy Spirit. Now, some people say, but aren't believing and receiving synonymous? Don't they happen at the same time? Usually not, not in the context of what I'm sharing. Yes, when somebody is born again, they receive the Holy Spirit. He comes to dwell inside them. That's different to the baptism of the Holy Spirit where he takes possession of every part, where he invades every part of their being and uh, immerses them in himself. Example, Jesus. Jesus was born of the Spirit. Supernatural birth. Amen? 
He was born of the Spirit. But for 30, day, sorry, 30 years, he lived in obscurity. Nobody knew who he was. The thing is, he knew who he was. When, when, you, when you are saved and the Holy Spirit comes in, you know what has happened to you. You know you're a new creation. You know you're born again. Jesus knew who he was, but others didn't know. But when he began his ministry and he was filled with the Spirit, everyone started knowing. Everyone saw, you know, had, because of the manifestations of the Spirit through him. The blind received their sight, that lepers were healed, the deaf could hear, the lame could walk, the dead were raised again. Multitudes came because there was a manifestation through him that others became aware of. Now let's look at a couple of new, uh, you know, Acts um, incidents in the book of Acts. And the first one we go to is Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. And one of the apostles, Philip, goes down to the, Samidia, uh, the city of Samaria and preaches the gospel there. And many people come to the Lord. Let's read what happens. So it says in verse 12, But when they believed, Philip, this is Acts chapter 8 verse 12, when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Okay, so they believed, they repented, they believed. Then Simon himself, Simon was a sorcerer by the way, okay, Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles and signs which were done. Okay, so he was caught up with the phenomena. Now, when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Can you see that? They were saved. They'd already received the Holy Spirit living inside them, but they were not baptized in the Spirit until the apostles came and laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, here's a question. How did they know? How did they know that they hadn't received the Holy Spirit? How did they know? Because it says up until this point they hadn't received the Holy Spirit. How did they know? The answer is that when... A person is baptized in the Holy Spirit, people know. There is a manifestation. It might be speaking in tongues. Another error of Pentecostal churches is to say that speaking in tongues is the initial evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That you can't substantiate that from the scripture. When the Holy Spirit comes, there is a manifestation. There is an evidence. It might be prophecy. It might be more power to serve God more effectiveness, more fruit. It might be power to witness. It might be miracles. It might be any, any one of those things. Let God determine how that's going to work its way out. Okay, we might just mention speaking in tongues in a, in a few moments, but let's just keep on track here. They, there was no outward manifestation, so they knew they had not received the Holy Spirit. So they prayed for them, laid hands upon them, and it says they received the Holy Spirit. Next question, how did they know? They received the Holy Spirit because there was an outward manifestation of that which had happened to them. See, friends, when we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, when we are born again, 
okay, when we're saved, Jesus comes to live inside us by the power of the Spirit, okay, when we're saved. But he comes to live in our spirit. And that, the spirit is like a reservoir. And, and the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit flowing from that reservoir to the rest of our being, influencing our emotions, our thoughts, our actions, all that we do. We come under the, 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 the leadership of the Holy Spirit and there are always results when that takes place. You know the word baptism doesn't actually mean to be filled from the outside. It doesn't necessarily mean that, not necessarily. It means to fill, to permeate, to, to absolutely drench, if you like, to cover, but it doesn't have to be from the outside. It can be from within. It can mean to suffuse. For example, let's give a couple of examples of what I'm trying to say here. When somebody blushes, okay, that's because they experience an embarrassing moment which has a, causes a physical reaction. Okay, it sends off a mental trigger which dilates the, the blood vessels in the facial part of the body and it causes uh, the blood to rush to the surface of the skin and the cheeks and the necks get reddened. Now, has that person been injected with more blood? No, the blood is from within, but it's kind of released more fully into that part of the body. Can you see that? And that's what the word baptism can mean. It can mean to, to flood from within. Or let's take tears, for example. When, when, when a person begins to weep, their eyes fill up with tears. Their eyes are filled with tears. Now, when we talk about being filled with the Spirit, it's the same thing. It's that which is in, within us, fills every part of us and begins to saturate every part of us. And so when the, the gospel was preached, these are the things that the apostles were interested in. Number one, have you repented towards God? Number two, have you received Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you believed on Jesus Christ as your Savior? Number three, have you received the power of the Holy Spirit? Because if they hadn't, they would try to live the Christian life in their own flesh, their own energy, and have meager results and uh, end up with exhaustion. So that's why they wanted to get them to learn to see the release of the Spirit of God in their lives. Can you see that? Now, let's just, before we move on to another passage, there's an interesting character here called Simon the Sorcerer. And uh, he used to practice witchcraft and that sort of thing. And when he saw the phenomena, or the manifestations of the Holy Spirit, signs and wonders, etc., he wanted to buy that. You remember the story? He offered the apostles money. And what did Peter say to him? Peter said to him in verse 20, your money perish with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Now look at what he says here. Repent. In other words, go back to step one. <laughs> you see? You've got to take, you're going to take you through this thing again. You've not repented towards God. Repent. Get your heart right with God. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll receive the Holy Spirit. Okay, let's go to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. Now we're, we're, we're going to shift to Paul and his ministry. So in Acts chapter 19, we read this. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul 
having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus, and finding some disciples, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Okay, so he started at step three. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. Ah, Paul says, okay, let's go back to step two. See whether they've been there. And he said to them, into what then were you baptised? So they said, into John's baptism. What was John's baptism? Baptism of repentance. Okay. Then Paul said, John indeed baptised with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who was to come after him. Go to step two. That is on Christ Jesus. So when they heard this, they were baptised in the name of Jesus, the Lord Jesus, and when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them. How do they know that? They spoke with tongues and prophesied. There was an outward manifestation of an inward filling. And, and, and that's the way Paul worked. He wanted to make sure that they'd been to each three steps of the Christian life. Repentance towards God, believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, and receiving the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I believe this. I believe that often we've made more problems over this with, with our doctrines and, and, and kind of trying to work out how it's going to happen and, and uh, putting the Holy Spirit in a box. And that's creating more problems than it's solved. Saying, okay, you've got to speak in tongues, you've got to do these things, etc., etc., etc. The key is this. When the Holy Spirit comes, there is power. There is power. There is a difference in your life. It's chalk and cheese. It's like this man trying to get across the channel with his pedal-powered plane and a jet plane. That is the difference between trying to live the, whole, the, the Christian life in your own energy and your own strength and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't predetermine results and how God is going to manifest his power through you. Leave that to him. Let him surprise you. The key is there is power to get the job done when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now, I heard a tape once by David Pawson. Anybody heard of David Pawson? An excellent Bible teacher who incidentally is not a Pentecostal, a Baptist. Okay, And um, he started this whole thing because he knew that there was more than what was being taught in the churches at that time. And he came up with this discovery. He said every time the Holy Spirit is mentioned with the definite article, the Holy Spirit, it's a reference to the person of the Holy Spirit. And that's who you receive and I receive when we are born again. We receive the Holy Spirit who comes to manifest the life of Jesus in fruit, invisible fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is joy, love, peace, and all those things so that our lives change. So in other words, when the Holy Spirit comes, we know about it because we see changes taking place in our lives. But he said this, whenever the Holy Spirit is mentioned without the definite article, just Holy Spirit, it's a reference not to the person but to the power. Of the Holy Spirit. The problem is that we don't often note those times because 
the translators always insert the definite article, even though when it's not there. Do you understand what I'm saying? They insert it, and so you think it's saying the Holy Spirit, but it's not. For example, when Jesus said, um, uh, it said about, you know, Jesus said, um, out of his innermost being will flow the rivers of living water. Then John goes on to comment in his gospel. Uh, this spoke he about the Holy Spirit who would come, but, but then he goes on to say, the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Actually, in the Greek, it's Holy Spirit not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. In other words, there was no Holy Spirit power given to disciples because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now, in this verse what, that we're reading now in Acts chapter 19, um, it reads actually like this. Um, when Paul laid his hands on them, Holy Spirit came upon them. Holy Spirit came upon them. When he asked them, have you received the Holy Spirit? He's asking them, have you received the power of the Holy Spirit? See, it's a reference to the power of the Spirit of God. We all have the Holy Spirit if we're born again. God lives in you by the Holy Spirit. But the question is, have you been baptized in the Spirit? Has he been allowed access to your life so that you learn to live in dependence upon him? Now, one other scripture before we close this morning. Um, I'd like you to turn with me, please, to Ephesians chapter 5. Okay, now I'm going to just, while you're doing that, I'm just going to mention uh, very briefly about uh, speaking in tongues. Because we find in the Acts of the Apostles that when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the church, they all spoke with other tongues. Now the first person to mention speaking, speaking in other tongues was Jesus. He said, these signs shall follow them that believe. They shall speak with other tongues. Okay, so he spoke about it. It happened on the first day of the, the birthday of the church. The apostle Paul said, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than you all. So he spoke in tongues. What is the purpose of speaking in tongues? We need to differentiate between speaking in tongues and the gift of tongues. The gifts of the Spirit which I'm going to talk about next week, the gifts of the Spirit are for the building up of the church. Not everyone has the gift of tongues. The gift of tongues is when we come together and God gives a tongue to someone and it is interpreted. That way the church is benefited. Actually, to follow Paul's instructions clearly about this, we shouldn't be speaking in tongues together because we're not here for personal edification, but for corporate edification when we come as a church. Amen? But Paul says, he that speaks in tongues edifies himself. In other words, we do that in our private life to build ourselves up. What's the purpose of it? Sometimes, you know, when, when you are uh, in prayer or in praise, you are so full of wonder and, and praise and worship to God that our human view, vocabulary does not do justice to what's in our heart. And, and there's like a blockage there. And, and our spirit is not given free reign to worship the Lord. And so God has given us a new language to take over that, that he might be glorified. Because the Bible says, whoever speaks in another tongue glorifies God. Glorifies God. And also edifies himself. 
And so it's a personal thing. But when we come together, if there is a message that God wants to give to the church through tongues, there needs to be an interpretation of that tongue so that the whole church is edified and built up. That's what Paul teaches in, in, in his words. And we need to stick with the, you know, the New Testament divine order in those things. Okay. Now, here's a wonderful thing. That the day of Pentecost was a reversal of the Tower of Babel. You think about it. At the Tower of Babel, they all came together and they tried to ascend to God. So God came down and confused their languages. That was the birth of different languages. They all spoke different tongues. They couldn't understand each other, so their purpose was, was aborted. They never built their tower to God. You see that? They never ascended to God. The day of Pentecost was the opposite. God came down to man and empowered them and gave them a tongue that they might go forth into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature so that his purpose might prevail through that body of people, the church, that are given over to him. Now that's the key. <laughs> the key to knowing the power of the Holy Spirit is just to be available to God. Amen? Let's look at this verse together. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18. Paul says this, Do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation or excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, if you look in your, in your, 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 your uh, uh, commentaries, you'll, you'll discover that the Greek verb here is a continuous present tense. Be being filled. It's not a one-off experience. Be being filled. Keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now notice he contrasts it with being drunk. Why does he do that? Because he's not, he's not against us drinking wine. He very clearly says, don't, don't come under you know, the influence. Well, when somebody is poured up for drinking and driving, when they've been drinking over the limit, okay, it's called uh, under the influence of. Right? That's the whole point, is they're no longer in control. It's not them any longer. They're under the influence of the alcohol. Now, Paul says, listen, you will come under the influence of one thing or another. Actually, you'll come under the influence of, it might be something you know, radical like drink or drugs, or it might be the spirit of this world. But you'll come under the control of something. Why don't you come under the influence of the Holy Spirit? Keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now that, that just demands two things from you and I. Number one, that we understand our total dependency upon God. That we really understand. I was talking to somebody this week, in fact we had somebody over, and we were just sharing about what God has done here in this church. And friends, I want to tell you 100%, God is my witness. I'm, there's no kind of, I'm not trying to be falsely humble here. This is of God. I can't do a thing here without Him. I know that. I, it's taken me 35 years to realize that to the extent that I do, but I know that if God doesn't show up, I can do absolutely zilch. We might as well all go home. Amen? Because it's only what He does through us. Now, we need to live in that awareness and that dependency. And, and God reminds us 
Because when we start getting puffed up and we start getting proud and we start thinking that we're different and we're better and we've, you know, God's done this because of us, then you know what happens? We fall flat on our face. So the first thing is we need to live this Christian life in a total state of dependency. Day by day, moment by moment, depending on God. And secondly, we need to surrender each day the members of our body to Him. Amen? We need to surrender our lives to Him. We need to yield ourselves to Him. He does not take control. He will fill every part of you that you will yield to Him. So, you know, as I've said often, you actually have, every one of you that are a Christian here today, you have all there is of the Holy Spirit. You can't get any more of the Holy Spirit. The big question is, does He have all of you? He will fill every part of your life that you'll surrender to Him. Every part that you'll yield up to Him. He'll come, He'll fill it, He'll flood it, He'll saturate it, He'll permeate it, and as you walk through this life, you will see God moving. You will see this promise taking place that He shared that the whole world will be reached. Your world will be reached. My world will be reached because Jesus will be living through us and, 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 and operating through us and doing wonderful things and manifesting His power through us as we live in dependence and yieldedness to Him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. I'd like you just to bow your heads for a moment. As we, as we come to an end here this morning, I'm going to say this. If, if anybody wants prayer, if, you've, if you say, you know, I, I just need to know this release of the Holy Spirit, this baptism in the Holy Spirit, I need that in my life. I, I've been, you know, keeping Him in, in a box, as it were, in just a, just a little corner of my life. I want Him to flood my whole life. If, if you'd like that, I will pray and there are others that will pray with you afterwards. We're going to make time for that as, uh, as we finish this service. But before I pray this morning, I want to ask, is there anybody here today and you've never made your peace with God? You've never repented of going your way in life and put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believed on Him for salvation. I want to tell you this, today's the day for you to do that. It's not an accident that you're here today. God has brought you here so that he might save you, that he might come into your life, that he might live inside you, that he might give you what you were created for, the kind of lifestyle that you were created for, that you might know forgiveness of sins, his righteousness, eternal life, and his joy and peace in your life. You might be born again. That's what he wants to do today. If there, is there anybody here today, you've never done that, and you want to say, yes, I want to receive Jesus as my Savior. Would you just do a very simple thing? Just put your hand up. Let me see it and take it down. Is there anybody today? You've never done that, and you'd like to make your peace with God. Just lift your hand. Say, yes, that's what I want to do. Just by lifting your hand, I will pray for you. Special prayer. I won't embarrass you or point you out, but I will pray for you. Is there anyone this morning? You've never done that. Okay. Okay. Let's pray then. Father, we want to thank you for the good news of the gospel. Thank you that when we respond to the gospel, 
we embrace every person of the Godhead. We get right with God. We receive Jesus and believe on him. And we're filled with your spirit. Lord, I just pray that we will experience all that Jesus died to give us in our Christian lives. That we will be a powerful church. That we will be individually powerful Christians. Because it is the power of the Holy Spirit that has been released in and through us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.